0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been one of my friends that's trying to make you some money. My job not just you, but to educate, teach, contest. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer, This market is not a dog. You can't tell it to stay. You can't tell it to roll over. You can't get it to fetch. Yet somehow people keep imagining that there's discipline in the process, that the action follows clear patterns. For example, when you get a spike in infections, the averages are supposed to get clobbered. And that's exactly what happened Friday. Monday, whole new ballgame. Dow surging 580 points, SP gaining 1.47%, NASDAQ advancing 1.20%. The bulls look at the spiking number of COVID cases next to the not spiking number of fatalities. And they figure we've made real progress fighting this disease. So it makes sense to buy stocks into any kind of weakness.
1: Buy my buy, 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 buy.
0: We almost got back to even on the Dow from Friday because mortality rates look like they're dropping. Of course, they're buying the recovery stocks now, not the stay-at-home stocks because of that. The Kramer COVID index lagged today for simple reason. If you believe the spike infections uh, simply isn't an issue, well, you want to bail on the COVID stocks. I think that's a bogus argument. Too many states are gradually shutting down again. To write this off is no big deal. More on in the index later in the show. So what really happened today? Let's go over some of the key parts of this. What's the confluence? First, we have a reason that can actually be time stamped that turned around the market. This market was taking a header this morning, and then we got a truly incredible pending home sales number. I mean, nobody was really looking for anything special, but it was up 44.3% in May. That is outstanding. At this point, pending home sales are only down 5% year-to-date, in one of the greatest recessions we've ever seen. It was a broad-based resurgence, up 44% in the Northeast, 37% in the Midwest, 43% in the South, and the downing 56% in the West. That is pent-up demand, coupled with an unexpected level of resilience, good balance sheets. Second, there was an incredible bounce in some important stocks. On Friday, Nike got trashed after a so-so quarter where the company was stuck with a lot of excess inventory and weak gross margins. I thought it would sell off again for second day, given the disappointment that had been the way this market worked. Nope. People can't resist. It's just too good a company. After Nike plunged from 101 to 93 on Friday, they smelled a bargain. It's all about the recovery of digital and the strength that's developing as economies around the world reopen. The future's not the past. Rallies two dollars and twenty cents. Same goes for Facebook. Well, all day today, all I we could talk about was they're finished, right? I mean, you got Pancake Friday after a bunch of high-profile advertisers pulled their business, citing a number of controversies where the company refused to crack down on some ugly stuff. Verizon, mutely for Starbucks, they're all leaving Facebook, so the stock gets slammed from two thirty-five down to two sixteen. Today, though, the buyers came back when it hit the 207 level and then roared to 220, when investors realized this won't even ding the numbers, at least not according to J.P. Morgan, which did very good work on this. The rebound was stunning. I know Mark Zuckerberg's a lightning rod for controversy, but he's got a great business, more than 8 million advertisers. Do you know the consumer packaged goods companies, frankly, haven't moved that aggressively into Facebook's universe? That's why it's not going to be dinged so bad. What else? Goldman Sachs boosted Southwest Airlines, Symbol Love, with a rare double upgrade. Why? They think Southwest will be the first to launch a major comeback. We know that there are a ton of retail investors who are eager to buy the airlines on even a hint of good news. So they look up, they they took up the entire group today, along with, of course, their are uh, doppelgangers, the cruise lines. Uh, if you have to an airline, it's Southwest. Third, it looks like Boeing 737 Max might finally get out of the FAA doghouse. They're testing the plane for safety. There's a chance it might be flying again by year end. I know that Philip Bow had a piece on later this evening saying that they completed day one of the test. So far, so good. Uh, you, look, we expect that maybe this plane comes around at the same time. We get a vaccine. Air travel can bounce back. Boeing was a big part of today's game, but there's more to come. As Boeing goes, so goes Honeywell. And General Electric, they have huge aerospace exposure. We've got Honeywell on the show later today. They're changing their stripes. Fourth, remember, there's a rotation going on because we're clearly doing a better job of protecting high-risk populations from the virus in this latest leg of the pandemic. I think we'll probably see uh, still significant uptick in deaths eventually. Remember, those numbers lag a few weeks behind new cases. But in terms of the mortality rate, it's not going to be as bad as the original outbreak in the Northeast, and that is terrific news. This rotation spurred buying in a host of industries that had been given the market, given the, the back of this market's hand, Defense, I like L3 Harris. Remember, we had him on recently. Autos, so I like Auto Nation and Tesla. Tesla doesn't quit. Healthcare, I like Centene. Been big lagger. Retail, it's Costco, TGX, and Dollar G, but the buying was indiscriminate. Fifth positive, the banks were able to rebound despite the Fed's not-so-hot stress test results we got last Thursday. I am worried about the banks. Tonight, Wells Fargo announced it's going to trim its dividend. But on days when they can rally, it's fabulous for the market. More on that later. Six. Nobody cared about Chesapeake Energy filing for bankruptcy. A lot of people would have thought this would have turned the whole market upside down. We all knew it was coming, though. Meanwhile, the price of crude finished strong, allowing the oil producers with good balance sheets to rally. I think Conoco, Phillips, and Chevron. Finally, there's the seasonal trade. Remember last week we talked about the Fourth of July trade. According to Larry Williams, one of the greatest chartists in the business, if you bought stocks today. Four days before the holiday, and flip them soon after you made money. Eighty percent of the time over the past twenty-one years, the odds are get even better over the next three days. That's a nice tailwind. And there are tons of charts out there who follow this stuff. Tomorrow, good day. There, you know, we got good days coming up according to the uh, the Larry Williams's work. Now, when the recovery stocks roar, the stay-at-home stocks come back down. Remember, there's not a ton of new money coming to this market, which means when money managers buy something, they need to sell something else to raise uh, cash. Goldman Sachs raises price targets from a slew of digitizers, and they all got hammered because of the rotation. These stocks have had huge runs. I think it's reasonable to take something off the table. But remember, they're going to come back to them. What hasn't changed? Speculators still love these story stocks, the companies that are too small to mention on air that have been trafficked in endlessly, particularly by younger investors who can't seem to resist penny stocks and fantasy stocks. I'm begging you, don't do this. Think about it. Does any company set out to have a penny stock? Never. I've studied this over a 15 year period. There was only one big long term winner from the penny stocks that I could find. uh, And that is it it's since been taken over. Similarly, no company files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy for the benefit of their shareholders. The people who own the common stock usually get wiped out. Rare occasions when public shareholders actually get something, but typically that's not how things play out. That's why I think it's a mistake to play around with stocks like Hertz or Chesapeake. The odds are you'll be wiped out. If you need action, so to speak, go buy a good semiconductor company. Go buy an AMD. Go buy an NVIDIA or Micron, which just reported a great number uh, this evening. And I've got the uh, Sanjay Baroto on as CEO tomorrow of Mike Reinhardt on Squawk on the Street. Listen, I get to appeal these single-digit stocks, people. I am a big believer in informed speculation. I'm the only one on TV who is, but that's not what we're seeing. Lots of younger investors have apparently taken some of their $1,200 and gambled it with the stock market, in part because the casinos are closed and there are no games to bet on. It's all about one thing, day trading. You pick the right stock, you get someone to take you out of it, you're a hero. I day traded with the best of them for, f- for years. I like day trading. But I always knew the companies very well. And I don't talk about day trading on this show. I hate to see uninformed speculation. And that's what we're seeing now. The buyers have to abandon things that don't work. These companies, some of these companies barely exist. Instead, move on to higher quality businesses with much more legitimate prospects. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening anytime soon. In fact, I'm seeing the opposite. Please do some homework. How's the company doing? Do you even know what it does? How much money does it lose? What's its track record? Come on. The bottom line, we had a lot of encouraging signs today. But keep in mind that this market loves veering from one extreme to the other. Friday felt like the end of the world. Today it feels like we're out of the woods. Tomorrow, who the heck knows? Let's go to Dick in Florida, please. Dick.
1: Jim, hey, uh, lumber's gone up 20% on the futures market the last few weeks. Do you think warehouser's a good buy at this time?
0: Um, No, I I think it should have been a good buy. I think it should have been done better. I think it executed poorly. I think the discontinuation of the dividend was a shocker and very disappointing. Let's go to Dan in California,
2: please. Dan. Mr. Kramer, you've made my dad and I great money over the last couple of years. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks to you. When this When this company went public two years ago, you compared it to Fitbit or GoPro and warned us not to buy a hardware maker that could be commoditized by Amazon or Google. Since that time, Sonos has grown 20% a year, is cash flow positive, and today boasts a sticky install base of over 10 million households who on average own three devices. Just recently, they began to monetize its footprint in affluent homes with the release of Sonos Radio, opening up new and diverse sources of revenue on its platform. This was all pre-COVID. When stay-at-home orders were issued earlier this year, business went from good to great. The company revealed an explosion of high margin, direct-to-consumer sales, and since May, their entire product line has been difficult to keep in stock, Across all channels. Well, look,
0: you've it's done a, a lot of work. Game. Obviously, you know you're ahead of me. I, look, the stock's down for the year. I've been recommending Spotify, which I think, frankly, is uh, is better stock than Sonos. But I think you make a good case for Sonos. I believe in stocks like this. It's a stay at home stock. I like I like shop, uh I like Spotify because I felt people were using it at home. I wanted a Sonos system the other day when we had a, an outside safe party, and I said, "Boy, I wish we had Sonos." So you're okay. One of our places has it, you know. Whatever. I like your reason. I right, sure today it's very encouraging. But remember, this market loves veering from one extreme to another. May it's night. more in three months in the pandemic is the parent of Burger King, Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, and Tim Horton still sizzling. I'm gonna to talk to the CEO. Then Boeing just completed its first test flights of the 737 Max! What does that mean for its suppliers like Honeywell? I've got the CEO, top brass. And with some economies reopening and some pause, I'm giving my COVID-19 index a little refresh. You're not gonna wanna miss this. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets.
0: What are we supposed to do with the stock of Honeywell? Here's an incredibly well-run company. It was a huge winner before COVID came along. Honeywell spun off the transportation climate control businesses as separate companies, focusing on aerospace, special materials. I thought it was a brilliant move. Then the pandemic hit and tanked their key end markets. The stock got crushed in February and March for rebounding as part of an awakened America rally. But once the recovery thesis was called into question, Honeywell pulled back hard from its recent highs. I don't think it's understood. This is a tricky situation. Honeywell has a lot of exposure to aerospace, non-residential construction, two areas have been hit hard. So how does a company with great management navigate its way through these troubled waters? Well it adapts. Let's take a closer look with Darius Adamchek. He's the chair and CEO of Honeywell to get a better sense of how his company's doing and the new direction of where it's hit. Mr. Damchek.
3: welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Thank you, Jim. Nice
3: to be back. Good to talk to you again.
0: Good to talk to you, Darius. Now, uh, it has to be a good day at Honeywell, even though you are no longer an aerospace company. It is good to see the FAA giving Boeing a bit of a green light,
3: right? Absolutely. It's great to see the flights taking place, and uh, we're confident that uh, 737 MAX is going to get recertified again soon. And obviously the market thought the same. And uh, we're certainly a fan of the aircraft and, and huge fans of Boeing as well.
0: Now, uh, I think in some ways that the aerospace controversy of Boeing has hidden the transformation that you're working on. And you know, I know your predecessor well in some of those divisions that left. I think that it, it was your airplane, as he told me. But you are doing uh what I regard as a software trans- transformation. You have an actual chart in your, in your deck, which shows you um, behind Oracle, SAP, and Salesforce, and there's Honeywell. So, obviously, you're making a category shift of the first order. So, tell us about it.
3: Yeah, I think people don't really understand it. We already have a long software heritage. I mean, we our software business, both standalone and embedded, is well over $4 billion today. So I think people think we're much more of a hardware company, but in fact, we have a strong software business to build off of. And frankly, if there is a common thread throughout all Honeywell businesses, it's the fact that we're a controls company, whether it's controlling buildings or aircraft or industrial facilities, we're connected to everything. So we collect all the data you know, today, our control software is what's, what's the glue that holds those control systems together. But we have now the ability to use that data in a very different way. And we've undergone that transformation now and have been on that journey for a few years. And, you know, this year is going to be a little bit more challenging, but the journey doesn't stop. And we're going to continue to drive that transformation. And uh, our Forge platform, which is our industrial IoT offering, is going to continue to grow. And even in this environment, we expect it to grow.
0: Well, what struck me when i went went through things is uh I don't think anyone else is doing what you're doing i mean I, your enterprise resource planning for industrial for plant I don't think there's another company
3: that that competes with you well i mean I, there, there's there's always uh players that that play in certain segments, but in, certainly in terms of the comprehensive scope and presence that we have, I mean we are present in just about if not all, nearly all processed plants in the world. So that kind of installed base is uh, is something that we think is a huge advantage for us. And frankly, we've developed a level of trust in our deep relationships with many of our customers. Now we're expanding that to more of the discrete environment, but it's not just about industrial plants. It's also about, you know, buildings and aircraft and warehouses, which we're building a huge presence in and, uh, it's uh, it's a very exciting endeavor for us. Uh, it's growing very quickly. Uh, we have a very talented uh, individual leading it, Q Delara, and uh, and the best days are certainly very much still ahead of us. But, you do uh, have you good. have a
0: lot of talent. I was listening to one of your uh, one, one, one of your lieutenants talk about uh, some of the really unbelievable things you're working on. A a, a, a battery that's non uh, lithium, four to eight hour possibility. I mean, that would be a total game changer for the whole world, no?
3: No, we, uh, you know, actually our materials business, UOP, is working on a whole different solutions to really renewable, to, to, to enable renewals to really take hold. And the key part of that, Jim, as you well know, is economically viable energy storage. And we think we have a solution that may change the game here. You know, it's still early, so we're not exactly bringing it out to the market today. Uh, But we are going to have prototypes before the end of the year and real customers next year. So this is just another area of innovation that we're bringing to the market and really enabling something that where the entire world is trying to move to, which is renewables.
0: I mean, there's so much that you're involved in, but I also loved the idea that you could convert plastics into plastic oil. It might be the answer to what's going on in that big island in the Pacific.
3: Well, I mean, I, I think we all... You know, we all have these things, and we all drink from a, on a daily basis. But, you know, what are we going to do with that plastics? How do we renew it? How do we reuse it? And uh, that's another set of uh, solutions that we're working on in our renewables business. It's actually our newest business unit called Renewables, and it's all these sustainable solutions for the globe. And the great part is, we have so much expertise and so much innovation in this area already having already have a solution for green diesel, green uh, jet fuel. Uh, These things are kind of have been on the back shelf for a while. And now we're seeing much more interest in those kinds of solutions than we ever had. They're not new. They actually already exist. And we've, we've already used them and and done them. And now we have energy storage. We have uh, renewable plastics. Those are all new areas of research. And it's extraordinarily exciting.
0: Very exciting. Now let's talk about something, you know, better than anybody. Let's talk about safety. I mean, I know COVID's been very tough for everybody, but you understood social distancing. You understood PPE. You were incredibly benevolent toward people. But you also seem to be able to work, make, it feel, make me feel like I can take a plane plane ride and it'll be clean.
3: I, yeah. Well, I, I'm, very, I'm very proud of all of our associates and what they have done, because I think we've Honeywell's had a very big presence in the three phases of COVID. And I'll give you a very specific example. The phase one is the lockdown phase. And we protected our medical workers through the production of N95 masks. And as you know, we spun up two whole new facilities, one in Rhode Island, one in Phoenix, to really rescue the country in in need when Mm -hmm. these N95s were really impossible to get. And now we're producing millions of them per week. So that's been exciting. Now, in this middle stage, which I think is... The stage between a full lockdown and a full complete medical solution, we're developing these healthy buildings offerings, healthy aircraft o- offerings, remote operations offerings, healthy warehouse offerings, which really will enable people to operate in a safe and healthy environment as, they, as we're in this kind of quasi-state. And maybe our most interesting solutions is when we finally get a final medical solution, probably in the form of a vaccine, uh, we've now come up with a whole new storage uh, rather than glass vials, which, you, as you probably know, are in short demand right now, right. which is cheaper. It's more durable and lighter than a glass vial. And we're talking to a lot of the pharma companies today about how they may be able to use that because as you know oh. the world's going to billions of these things very very soon hopefully well i gotta hand it to
0: you i mean you know i know dave a long time and he told me it was going to go in a new direction not to worry about it and boy are you ever taking that i got dave on the tomorrow for his new book uh but you should be very proud you have reinvented this company in a very fast-growing way and it's always great to see you darius it's
3: great to see you jim thank okay. you
0: Thank you. That's Darius Danczyk, the chairman and CEO of Honeywell. You hear how different this company is. I love the old Honeywell. I love the new Honeywell. Man Money's back after the break. Today's rally in the recovery stocks, you got to remember that some of these stories are a lot more substantial than others. On the one hand, there are generally trouble, say, in some of the airlines, definitely the cruise lines. I really don't think they're worth the risk, although don't tell that to some of the riskier retail investors. On the other hand, you've got a company like Restaurant Brands, the parent of Burger King's. Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, you know, a longtime favorite of ours, and Tim Hortons, which just published a 100-day letter outlining where the company stands after more than three months of pandemic. Turns out they're in very good shape. And even if COVID cases start spiking again, these are the kind of chains that can do just fine subsisting on takeout. So let's take a closer look with Jose Sill. He's the CEO of Restaurant Brands. You get a better sense of how his company's holding up and what the future looks like for this quick-serve industry. Mr. Sill, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Great to be here. Well, I'm thrilled that you're on, Jose, because, you know, I'm just a huge fan, even from before you bought Popeyes. But I got to divide this interview into two, if you don't mind, because your letter is responsible both for what's happening in the world right now. And you are really thinking about that. And also, your great tasting food. And I want to start with incredible numbers with chicken. How are you able to beat last year's numbers when we're in a pandemic?
4: Look, we're we're so proud of the work that our team and our franchisees are doing uh, with Popeyes, actually with all three of our brands, uh, with Burger King, Tim's, and Popeyes. But specifically on chicken, uh, we launched uh, our great-tasting chicken sandwich uh, last year in August. Then, as you well know, we had to pull it back uh, because of uh, a number of challenges, including supply. And then we relaunched it in November, and it's been a big part of our menu since then. And and what it's done, it's it's brought uh, a lot of new folks into the business, a lot of folks that, that hadn't really tried Popeyes or only tries it once every 35, 40 days because of the, the bone-in chicken being more of a, of a, of a meal right. uh, for the family, and, and it's more of a, a you know once-a-month a type of occasion. So the, the chicken sandwich brought in the, the regular daily QSR user for lunch, uh, the single user, and, uh, and those folks are coming in, and they're not just having the chicken sandwich. They're now experimenting and exploring the entire menu, desserts and side items and beverages, as well as bone-in chicken and the sandwich. And we're seeing the entire business grow, and it's been uh, fun to watch. I've, never, I've been in the business 20 years, never seen anything like it. Uh, I've talked to a lot of folks that are in the industry that, that haven't seen it either. So we're, we're excited, and we see it as an opportunity to continue to grow, uh, to connect well with our guests, to expand the brand from a unit count standpoint here in the U.S., and, and really create a tremendous opportunity for growth for the brand here in the
0: U.S. and internationally. So it's oh, exciting to, to talk about it. Classic innovation, and we try to we forget how often you can be in an industry that people think there's nothing new, and you instead you crush it. In the meantime, Burger King, not just because my wife says you got much better fries than McDonald's, I'm putting it right out there. But the Burger King numbers are very strong after uh, a, a challenging time in the last few months.
4: Yeah, so we've we've done a lot of great work with the uh, the Burger King team as well, the franchisees, uh, our team members, the folks in the restaurants have done an incredible job working through the pandemic uh, in the early days, uh, through takeout, uh, delivery was a big part of the business. We had been investing the last couple of years on digital. uh, so our digital uh, teams, our tech teams, our engineers have developed a great app, uh, which connected well with the uh, third party aggregators, as well as now uh, we're doing our own uh, delivery through our own app. And and that's been uh, the work that we did 18 months ago, two years ago, and and we've been working on through March, uh, was really instrumental in getting us going and, and ex- accelerating that uh, off premise business that helped us uh, come from minus thirty when the pandemic hit here in the U.S. Uh, for Burger King, uh, we, we kept creeping up, and, and now we're you know right around flat, uh, which is a, a good place to be. Not where we want to be long term. We think we can grow this business in the U.S. Uh, as we're growing internationally, and we think we have a tremendous opportunity with BK. But but proud of the work uh, that the team's doing, and, and really the tech uh, side of it has been an instrumental. The delivery. As well as our um, uh, off-premise drive-through business, which uh, has been part of our business for the last forty years. Uh,
0: profit margin on those uh, on the takeout and, and delivery? Profit
4: margins are, are are getting better all the time. Okay. So the, the delivery, in particular, with third parties, we we see that uh, there's an opportunity for improvements there. Um, we've we've been working with the aggregators, the third-party uh, delivery companies, and so it's it's gotten better all the time. And and it's a, a highly incremental business because uh, you, you typically see it coming through. Uh, at dinner or late night, uh, which is an area where where we have room for growth. So the incrementality plus the improving uh, margins is a a
0: win-win for the franchisees. Yeah, it definitely travels well, too. Uh, We had Impossible on last week. Uh, Loves you guys. Uh, I know that's got to be a different uh, line. It must be very hard to make, but there should be demand or else you wouldn't be showing it. Yeah, we're doing well
4: with Impossible. We've had it in since August of, of last year. We tested it for quite some time. We, we kicked it off and, and, and launched it in, uh, in St. Louis back in, uh, in April of 19, uh, created quite a stir. Uh, and, and, and since we've had it in the restaurants full time since, uh, since about August, mid-August thereabouts, it's been highly incremental as well, bringing in new guests. Uh, we, we've seen uh, uh, more women come in to try that, that, that product, and it's created a lot more incrementality for us. We, we think it's a platform that has room for growth for, for quite some time. And, uh, and we continue to, to invest media behind it, uh, digital as well, uh, to create trial and, and get people to, to, to come in and, and try the amazing product. It tastes great. It's hard to distinguish. I'm a big Whopper fan right. over the years, and now i pivoted to, uh, to the impossible at, at least a couple times a week because it tastes so, so good s- and, uh, and I, I hard to distinguish.
0: Too. I switched, uh, too. I, I mean, I, I know it's GMO. My kids don't like don't like that. But I switch. I love your impossible. Burger. I think it's fantastic. All right. So let's talk about some of this other stuff, because you addressed this head on. I wish more companies were doing what you did. You talked about the change in tone that you needed in advertising. You talked about taking the colors and flavors and preservatives that are artificial out of the whopper. You talked about social justice at the workplace. Why are you doing this and why shouldn't more people do it? Look, we're, Jim, we're doing this because
4: it's important to our teams, um, it's important to our franchisees, it's important to our guests. Uh, the things we're doing around sustainability and and making progress on on cleaning our ingredients and, and the Whopper being 100% clean, uh, and we're working on the rest of our menu as well for Burger King, doing the same with the, with uh, uh, Popeyes and, and Tim Hortons as well. Uh, it's important to our guests, so it's not it's not that someone here cook this idea up in a, in a laboratory or in an in R&D uh, facility and say, we need to do this and, and then move on. It's really important to our guest, And ultimately we're a brand led company. Uh, ultimately what drives uh, our direction and our priorities is what the guest is looking for. And this is really important to them. They want transparency. They want provenance, They want great tasting food. That's also real and authentic. And so that was important for us. And we, uh, we kicked off our restaurant brands for good in December. Uh, and now we're talking uh, more about it. We've uh, we've got the platform laid out in our website and, and we'll, there's going to be a lot of cool news coming out on, on that for Burger King uh, coming up soon. We've done the same with Tim Hortons and Popeye's uh, with packaging and, and other components. So w- that's important for us. And as it relates to to diversity and inclusion, uh, again, uh, our perspective, my perspective is that that to create the type of, of company we want to create, which is a company that builds the most loved restaurant brands in the world. You've got to have great teams, teams that are engaged, teams that are connected and, and really want to be part of something much bigger than them. And having a diverse uh, perspective and a, a diverse set of views in the team makes us better, makes us uh, stronger. And, and as a result, we put that front and center uh, of our uh, game plan and our priorities uh, for the company. Uh, we've made progress. We, we prioritized uh, gender initially. We're not quite where we need to be. We, we're, we're still working at it, but we made progress in terms of uh hires in terms of promotions uh, with women. Uh, and now we're, we're uh, prioritizing race and, uh, and, and LGBTQ and, and others. So we, we think it's important for us as a company to do the right thing because it's going to make us better and stronger. And that's why we're, we're focusing on it.
0: You bet it is. I'm so glad that you're a leader at this. Others should listen to you, sir. And it's funny because as, as we often see, when you do the right thing, you also do well by shareholders. Thank you so much to Jose Sill, CEO of Restaurant Brands International, QSR, Great to meet you, sir. I appreciate it. It's great to meet you. You should read this 100-day letter. It's about what's really important in life, in business, and in good taste of food. Dev money's back after the break. Two months ago, we created the Kramer COVID-19 Index. It's a group of 100 stocks that worked during the shutdown in the first wave of the pandemic. A month ago, we updated the index, and I told you to hang on to some COVID stocks, even though the virus seemed to be on the ropes, and the economy was rapidly improving. Well, now we got a fresh outbreak throughout the Sunbelt, with new cases higher than at any point during the first wave. Huge states like Texas and Florida have started shutting down again, And that means the Kramer COVID-19 index is back, even as it got hammered today as part of what I think will be a short-lived rotation back into the recovery place that could continue tomorrow. We had really good numbers from Xilinx and we had really good numbers from Micron. I wish it hadn't come to this, but you played with the hand you're dealt. And that hand's pretty straightforward. Since we adjusted the index a little over a month ago, it rallied 6.4 percent. Meanwhile, the Dow, it's up 4.6. S&P is only up 3.3 percent. NASDAQ Composite and NASDAQ 100, though, both rallied 5.8. Russell 2000, small cap index, has also underperformed of late, although it got some good mojo today, 4.8 percent of the same period. But only after that big rally today. Which is exactly what you'd expect with the pandemic once again spiraling out of control. Now, when you look at the biggest winners in the index, they're overwhelmingly tech companies that help facilitate the stay-at-home economy. And a lot of these got hit today. Think Zoom Video, Spotify, Zscaler, DocuSign, Etsy on this afternoon, the Trade Desk, Livongo Health on fire, Square, Peloton down today, I think because they didn't go and buy Mirror and Cloudflare. A lot of cloud-based enterprise software plays, lots of cybersecurity, a lot of e-commerce enablers. Before I give you any specific advice here, oh, I want to make a few more changes to the Kramer COVID Index. Specifically, we're adding VMware, uh, Sanjay and really helping us on that, Fastly, woo, and Newmont Mining, which will take the place of 300 performers, Baxter International, GlaxoSmithKline, and Kellogg. Why these three? First, Baxter, the medical supplies play. And last time around, we removed Beckton Dickinson from the index, arguing that we didn't need both it and Baxter. They're in the same business. But now that the pandemic's clearly here to stay for the next few months, I don't Baxter either. They simply have too much exposure to surgeries that will be delayed as hospitals all over the country focus on treating COVID patients. There are plenty of healthcare stocks that work here. Baxter's not one of them. Speaking of healthcare, we're going to dump GlaxoSmithKline. I know, high-quality drug company, Terrific Yield. I figured it would be safer than other big pharma outfits, but it's clearly not enticing many investors here, which is surprising to me. Glass is working on a COVID uh, vaccine with Sanofi, but Sanofi's in the index. We don't need both. Third, there's Kellogg. We have eight packaged food companies in this index, and half of them are negative territory. we got to cut one. General Mills and J.M. Smucker both have pet food kickers. Mondelēz and Campbell Soup have been better snacking. ConAgra's on fire. Wow. Kellogg. They really have not kept up. They are disappointing. All right, what about the three new additions? VMware's obvious. This is one of the cloud kings. Cloud stocks have been some of the most consistent winners in the COVID economy. Remember, VMware's virtualization software is what makes the cloud possible by letting you run multiple virtual machines on a single server. Even better, VMware is the rare cloud stock that's actually cheap on an earnings basis. Best of all, VMware is a subsidiary of Dell. Last week, Dell floated the idea of spinning it off. Reminds me of PayPal before it was spun off by eBay. Remember that opportunity? Okay, the second new edition. (laughs) These guys. Fastly. I mean... It's a next-generation content delivery network. I don't even feel like calling it a CDN. It's so much better than that. Uh, But it means that they help ensure everything works smoothly over the web. I wish I had included in the original index because it's become one of the hottest stocks in the market. But to be fair, I didn't realize how good the story really was until we brought the CEO on a month ago. Wowza! Since then, the stock surged 81%, even after a big pullback today. I think it may need to cool down some, or maybe that was the, the, the cool down this afternoon. But it's too important to be left out of the Kramer COVID index. They power Shopify, the New York Times, Stripe, among some other great customers. Really good reading, by the way, if you go to see some of the stuff they're up to. Third, with the virus resurgent in many states going back into partial lockdown, we need some more insurance against economic chaos. And the best insurance policy is gold. Which brings me to Newmont, the miner created by the merger of Gold Corp with the old Newmont. We just spoke to CEO Tom Palmer two weeks ago. He laid out a conservative strategy that should allow Newmont to keep winning, whether or not gold prices keep roaring. So with those adjustments out of the way, what are the most enticing stocks in the COVID-19? I know you want this. Okay, the problem with the COVID stocks is that many of them have already run up dramatically. Even with the virus spreading like wildfire, there's only so much upside you can squeeze out of a Zoom video or a DocuSign or a Peloton. Oh, I still like them. But it's hard for me to recommend putting new money at work at these levels. Instead, this is a good time to pick among the highest quality laggards in the COVID index, the laggards, Blue chip stocks that are down over the last couple months because they're just not sexy enough for a market that's fallen in love with speculation and Robin Hood trackers and people coming in from out of our business and saying, hey, listen, stocks only go up as the virus spreads and parts of the country go back into lockdown. I think these beaten down blue chips will start looking more attractive after we get through this rotation, which usually lasts for three days. We are day one. As of this past weekend, there were 28 names in the COVID-19 index that are down since we put this list together in late April. Of that 28, I can give you a dozen that I'm actually very enthusiastic about right here. There's Crown Castle. That's a real estate investment trust that owns cell phone towers. Stock sports a nearly 3% yield, major beneficiary from the build out of 5G. we hear from them tomorrow night. There's an idea, huh? Second, United Health, UNH. We know that the managed care plays benefit from COVID because hospitals postpone all sorts of procedures that would ordinarily cost companies like UNH an arm and a leg. This is a well oiled machine. We've had one, we love them. Okay, third is Procter & Gamble. When the recovery plays were in style, nobody cared about defensive consumer, packaged good plays, but now the recovery's on ice again. Fourth, ConAgra. I mean, these guys, well, I should have put them in to begin with. I mean, remember, the frozen food aisle is dominated by them. The millennials love them. States end up shutting down their restaurants. Hey, Jersey, we were just going to open our, our restaurants inside. Uh-uh. K- kibosh. ConAgra. We'll all have them on the show tomorrow, too. What a show we have tomorrow. <laughs> the- how I find out about the show is this stuff. Fifth, Campbell's Soup works for the same reason. We spoke to the CEO two weeks ago. What a story. Hey, come on. Get off the... Ca- Stop buying Royal Caribbean already. Six, Barrett Gold. You know we like gold here as insurance against economic chaos. Seventh is Verizon, among the worst performers in the index, but it's got an incredible stable business, bound for 4.5% yield. Another safe haven as COVID cases keep exploding and interest rates are so low. Eighth is Walmart. What is going on? Sam's Club's kicking butt here. There are handful of retailers that have, that have the scale to survive through this difficult period and take tons of market share from their struggling smaller competitors. Walmart's the best of them, even as his stock has pulled back hard from its highs in mid-April. Best retailer in the world, not new. Named Amazon. I'm telling you, you gotta look at this company. Ninth, I cannot believe how out of favor this one's fallen. Even though Xilinx pre announced a great number today, even though Micron reported a great number tonight, this company's better than all of them, AMD. And it's been treading water for two months. It's almost like you gotta send a floaty out for it. AMD has phenomenal processors and graphic chips with exposure to gaming in the data center, taking share from Intel. Stocks now pulled back 15% from its recent highs. This one, that one is a buy. All right, 10-11, J&J and Pfizer. All right, OK, these are both high-quality drug companies that are worth doubling down on in a more risk-averse climate. We don't have that right now. We're all busy buying the region crews. Finally, there's the worst-performing index. So This is really incredible. Centene, CNC, run by Kramer Fave, Michael Nidworth. This is a health insurance play that specializes in government-sponsored plans. They could lose a lot of business if the Trump administration succeeds in its lawsuit to overturn Obamacare, but they got their bases covered. But honestly, with Biden showing big leads in, the poll, after, in poll after poll, Cynthia could be a winner. Bottom line, as the pandemic flares up again, get ready after the industrial uh, rotation ends to circle back to the blue chip COVID stocks that are still way off their highs. That's what offers the best risk reward. I love a rotation. They throw out the good, they buy the bad, and then they change their mind two days later. Man, buddy's back after the break. Let me give you a look at what Scott Watner has tonight. Tonight at
1: 7 p.m., Ahead of this week's jobs report, what the nation's recruiters are seeing when it comes to hiring. Plus, making hotels safer for guests. And are high school sports ready for a comeback? All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner.
0: It is time! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski-Degs on the light round. My start with Stephen, New Jersey. Stephen. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're quite welcome. Um, um, what should I do with Discover Financial Services? Um, I actually prefer Square to it. I prefer PayPal to it. Both of them are better, even though both are coming down. How about Craig in Texas? Craig. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Okay, I've got a decent profit um, in Lockheed Martin. Should I buy more? No, hey, right, look, I you, Jim what's coming in there. And James Takelet made us so much money in American Tower. I am not kidding. Don't you touch that stock other than to buy it. Let's go to David in Texas. David. Jimmy, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. You and I are about the same age. We've seen well over 100 Cowboy-Eagle games. I want to extend a norm-knee to Ben Hawkins. Booyah. Well, I guess. I went to – I went to I saw the Cowboys play the Eagles in, in Franklin Field in 64. Yeah, Bob, well, saw, Bob I, Hayes. He caught a pass. He's still running. What's going on? <laughs> still running. Jimmy, uh, I'm a first-time caller. Long time fan, read all your books, watch your Thank show, you. Uh, Actions Alert member. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I do want to say thank you to you and your staff for everything you do. Staff is fabulous. Thank
2: you. Jimmy, I do have a, a question. Uh, I have uh, recently added Colgate to my uh, barbell portfolio. Right, as we own and that. I'm looking for. I'm looking for something to add to the other end of that barbell, and I'm looking, and I want your opinion on Union Pacific. I have
0: thought long and hard about Union but you've been reading my mind. I think Union Pacific should be on the other side of the barbell. It's a great stock. We had them on. So many good things happening there. Leg into that stock, sir, and I think you do well, and thank you for the incredibly kind comments. Let's go to Jeff in my daughter's old home state of Oregon. Jeff. Hey, Jim, I want to give a booyah shout-out to Wall Street Fence. How are you today, my man? I am good. How about you?
3: I'm doing fantastic. I wanted to talk to you about gas. What do you think is going to happen with Gap? Well, Kanye, I mean,
0: that was a big sign-up for them, and I think people are going to go back and take a look at it, and maybe it goes to 15, but not beyond that. Why? Because it's in too many malls. I saw that Simon Properties declared his dividend. Of course, had to trim it a little bit, but they still declared it. I'm not a big then stopped putting up 10 on that. I'm not a big mall guy. What can I say? Let's go to John in New York. John. Jimbo, John from Shaolin, streaming a big time, yeah. Now you're talking, I like that, spirited, what's happening? Jimbo, my man, I'm a first-time caller, and I just want to say I love the show and the energy that you bring to us every single I day. I sure try, man, I'm aching today, I had too good time to be in it weekend. to win it, Jimbo. Listen, I've held this stock since the markets march lows, and after watching the CEO and your show, I felt even more confident this company could be one of the first- that develop a vaccine. Last week, the stock went on an absolute tear right. after the Department of Defense purchased 900 smart devices for the U.S. military, totaling $16.5 million, as well as giving another $71 million to help spare the manufacturing of the device. This week, the company should be announcing their results from the Phase 1 human trials. The name of the company is in, uh, Nibio Pharmaceuticals. Inovia, they're down the block from where I grew up. from Plymouth Media, that's how I know them. All right, all those things are very true, but, you know, and you do with a biotech or a high high respect before they do announce anything, you ka change ka-ching the money you put in. I want you playing with the house's money, Hoss. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to promise me you're going to do that tomorrow. Tim in Michigan, Tim. Hey, Tim, I know you're just trying to make me some money, but I consider true. you a friend. Oh, uh, I like, like that. Thank you, man. Before you were tossing chair. My brochure pays a dividend, has no debt, doesn't have really phenomenal growth, not not accomplished growth. I'm wondering, is Weiss Market a value or a value track? I think it's a value play. My wife's on the board of Bucknell. We go to Weiss Market when she goes out there. It's very nice. I think it's good. I mean, you got a good one there. It's not going to shoot the lights out, but it's good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning
1: Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: Did we get a glimpse of a bleaker future last week when the Fed revealed its stress test results and told us that some banks could fail so that they probably need to cut their dividends? Did we get a taste of things to come when Wells Fargo, after the close, told us it would have to cut its dividend but didn't tell us how much? To me, this was a total wake-up call that many of us didn't see coming. Once again, the banks are the Achilles heel of this market, yet a lot of people refuse to acknowledge their vulnerability. Whenever I'm asked why the market's up on a day like today, despite the declining economy or the spike in COVID, I explain there's nothing to do with each other. There's almost total disconnect between stocks and real economy, but that disconnect may not be permanent. What could force this market to reckon with reality? Well, on July 14th, we start getting earnings from the major banks. Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and JP Morgan kick things off. They've had good earnings for ages that's meant absolutely nothing to their stocks. JP Morgan's plunged from 141 to 93. Citigroup's fallen from 83 to 50. Wells has been cut in half, 54 to 25 although they all traded appreciably lower when the market fell apart in March. Now, I suspect that each of these banks will report something that people dislike. J.P. Morgan should be uh, buoyed by its trading division, but any sign of spiking defaults will be viewed as a huge negative. Citi has a terrific credit card business will they talk about a decline in use and a spike in defaults like we saw in the paper today. I'm expecting some poor performance from a whole host of loans by Wells Fargo, and its decision to announce a cut of unspecified size this evening sure did not make me feel warm and fuzzy. Whenever you see a yield that's as high as that of Wells, almost 8%, going into the session, it's a sign that the payout was in danger, and it sure was. For the banks, these dividend payments have been a sturdy crutch that prevented their stocks from getting totally annihilated. Knock away the crutch, they'll go lower. And if the banks go lower, that takes down the whole market because the banks are the glue that binds the real economy to the stock market because they're involving credit. It can't be helped. There's no cordoning off the damage from the financial system if credit goes awry. Why am I so uh, certain these dividends could be at risk even more than we've heard tonight? Because a lot of people can't pay their bills. What happens when you stop paying rent? What happens when you stop making mortgage payments or credit card payments or auto payments? You default. The banks lose money. I think the expanded jobless benefits after 600 a week have been keeping things afloat. But those benefits expire in a month. If that's allowed to happen, the banks will feel it. Of course, this morning, Boston Properties' huge office landlord reported that 98% of its office tenants paid rent this month. Yay! But Boston Properties doesn't cater to the kind of small to medium-sized businesses that are in trouble here. They're not trying to collect from individuals who lost their jobs. There's no threat of eviction. But the REITs that cater to shopping centers and health care and hotel not good, not good at all. I'm very worried about what the banks will say when they report in a couple of weeks. Maybe the Fed gets fickle and says, we don't really care what you guys say. We're telling you the dividends are suspended, and that's my biggest worry. Now, the good news. When the bank's away, the cats will play. we got 11 business days to trade without the financials hanging over our heads. Remember, last week, our most esteemed chartist, Larry Williams, pointed out that this, historically, has been a terrific week to buy stocks for a short-term trade. It's just that with the banks reporting in mid-July and rampant speculation everywhere I look, next week may be a great week to sell. Stick with Kramer.
1: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
0: Remember Whibistics? <laughs> yeah, I do. Remember the guy got I killed bootin' because he was remembering a lot. Push Wabistics high enough. That's a reference to Sopranos, not real life. Or is that real life? I don't know. <laughs>
1: it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: Look, after the close tonight, there's a company that was supposed to blow up, so to speak, supposed to disappoint. Micron, simple and you, you know I like these guys. Instead, they did a great number and also gave you a great forecast and talked about 5G. And I think that's exceptional because 5G is the future. That is going to be good for everybody from Apple to Western Digital to Marvell Technology, NXP, and Skyworks Solutions. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you
4: tomorrow.